advised funds continue to be a strong trend in the philanthropic sector. A new research study from the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy provides us with the latest information on DAFs and what you need to know to fundraise effectively. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by my colleague Sasha Zarens. Sasha serves as the project manager within the research team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and she led our colleagues in this important research effort. Sasha, thanks so much for being with us. And what have you and your colleagues found about donor advised funds? Thank you, Bill. Um, so we did a study um, recently that looked at three at donor advised funds from three different angles. Um, we were interested in nonprofit organizations' perceptions of donor advised funds. Um, the processes nonprofit organizations use to accept, track, and acknowledge gifts from donor advised funds. And then we, the third looks at recommendations um, and best practices for nonprofit organizations and sponsoring organizations to better improve um, the experience of accepting gifts from donor advised funds. And what were some of those perceptions amongst the nonprofits who you surveyed? Yeah, so some of them are things you've probably heard before. Um, so nonprofits did express some concern about donor advised funds interrupting their ability to build their relationships with um, their donors. Um, but there were also a lot of positive perceptions. Um, so one thing that organizations were really excited about was the ability to connect with high net worth donors um, and also the ability to receive larger gifts. Those were kind of the two things that really stood out um, in the sort of perceptions that nonprofit organizations have. Um, one thing we did find, which I think leads to some of the recommendations that we talk about later, is that having more experience with donor advised funds, so having received a gift in the past from a donor advised fund in the past three years, um, is actually alleviates a lot of the concerns that organizations have about gifts from donor advised funds. Um, so I mentioned, you know, the donor contact and um, gift size and reaching high net worth donors, but we actually asked organizations about quite a few different topics. And just sort of across the board, we saw that having more experience um, just sort of alleviated their concerns and allowed organizations to be more engaged, or sorry, more encouraged about donor advised funds and the opportunities that they offer for nonprofit organizations. Yeah, that concern you mentioned about, you know, maybe not being able to connect with the donor because a donor advised fund, that donor can remain anonymous. And so we get the check from the organization that holds the DAF and we may not know the individual that sent that along, but it sounds like as fundraisers spend more time fundraising with people who have donor advised funds, Sasha, it sounds like what you're saying, the fundraisers are getting more comfortable uh, with interacting with donors who have this resource. Yeah, so while um, most organizations had received at least one anonymous gift, um, the number or percentage of overall gifts that come in as anonymous is actually pretty low. Um, we didn't get that number exactly, but from other reports, we've seen that it's generally pretty low. Um, so um, fundraisers who have worked with gifts from donor advised funds are learning how to talk to their donors about I mean, that's sort of the key takeaway uh, for nonprofit organizations that we came up with from this study, um, is that just talking to your donors and talking to your staff, it helps a lot. I mean, it seems really simple, I know, um, but it, it actually helps more than, more than you would expect. Um, and so they're learning how to talk to their donors, and then donors are learning, oh, I should notify 
organization X that um, I'm going to be giving a, my gift this year from a donor advice fund. So then the fundraiser knows to expect that gift and they, they recognize it when it comes in, even though the check comes from the sponsoring organization. Um, and then they can, they can track and properly acknowledge that gift. Um, and so different fundraisers, one of the things that came up in, we, so just to back up a second, mm -hmm. there were actually two parts to the study. Um, we did a survey. We also interviewed um, six organizations with in-depth qualitative interviews. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that came up in those interviews was the different processes that fundraisers have sort of come up with on their own to make this process work for them. Um, there are, the, the field overall is still kind of coming up with bit best practices for how to track and accept gifts from donor advice funds. Um, and so that's, you know, sort of one of the recommendations that we have out of this study. Um, but fundraisers are learning how to do it on their own as well. Um, and so they can share that information with each other um, and they can also make the process better for their organizations and their donors. So donor advice funds have been around since we think at least the early 1930s, but have really grown significantly in the last 20 years, especially these donor advice funds held in the private wealth management sector, separate from those that are held by community found out community foundations or other nonprofit organizations. And Sasha, this is the question we get all the time. And it sounds like this is the second category that you addressed is what do I do? How do I do this? What are the techniques? And uh, it, as you said at the beginning, this study helps shed some light on uh, some of those techniques. What can you tell us? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, um, that we found was that just having a process in place no matter what that process is, helps a lot. Um, so many organizations in the survey, especially the smaller, newer organizations, were like, we don't even know what a donor advice fund is. We don't know what to do with this when it comes in. We don't know how to credit the donor or the sponsoring organization or what we do. Um, but then organizations started to share that just sitting down and taking the time to come up with their own process, whatever that meant for them, really helped. So for example, one organization shared that, you know, they took time and they went back through their records and coded all gifts from donor advice funds so that they were giving a soft credit to the donor and a hard credit to the sponsoring organization. Um, and they noted that that helped them in so many different ways. Um, it took a lot of time up front but it made life so much easier for their fundraisers going forward. And it made life better for their donors because then they were able to properly acknowledge their donors. Um, as you know, you don't want to send tax information to a donor who's given through a donor advice fund because they've already gotten the tax benefit when they donated that money to their fund. Um, they don't get the tax benefit again. And so just having those clear processes made it easier. Um, there are still some things though that organizations haven't figured out. Um, a number of large organizations use direct mailing processing centers, and they still haven't figured out how to train the people who are working at those processing centers what to do when they receive a gift from a donor advised fund. Um, and so that's still an open question in the sector is, how do we make this work better for us? How do we make this work better for everyone? Um, and I think that is somewhere where even sponsoring organizations could step in and help. Um, there's a lot, you know, you mentioned the difference between donor advised funds held in community foundations and those held at like the large national sponsoring organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that came up a lot in our study too. 
the community foundations had a lot of personal touch. Um, so people, fundraisers knew who to call if they had a question. Um, for example, here in central Indiana, they knew who to call at CICF, the Central Indiana Community Foundation. But if they got something from Schwab, all they had was, you know, the, the phone number that they could call. Um, but that directs them to a switchboard and then they get sent through a number of processes. Um, but on the other end, we know that those national sponsoring organizations do want to help. Um, so there's more of a disconnect in um, sort of that communication that could easily be fixed. Um, and so national sponsoring organizations and sponsoring organizations more generally have an opportunity here that they can step in um, and they can say, hey, this is how you get a hold of us. Hey, this is what you do when a check is sent to the wrong place. Um, this is how you handled X, Y, or Z. Um, and, you know, that could be really helpful for nonprofit organizations. So we're talking about a new study about donor advised funds and what nonprofit organizations know, the practices that they're putting in place and the questions that they still have. And Sasha let us know there are kind of three big categories. One is uh, how nonprofits are still trying to develop relationships with individual donors who happen to hold these donor advised funds. Second of all, the techniques that they're putting in place, kind of inventing on the fly and trying to systematize that for themselves and that we can learn from each other. And then Sasha, you said there's this third category of recommendations, whether it's for the DAF holders, the sponsoring organizations, or perhaps for the fundraisers themselves. Can you give us a highlight of that third section? Yeah, so um, I mean, something I sort of led off with was our biggest recommendation was talk to your donors. Um, so there, there's still a lot of misunderstanding about things you can do with gifts from donor advised funds. Um, Billy, you've probably heard the question a lot. Can I fulfill, can a donor fulfill a pledge with a gift from a donor advised fund? Can a donor, actually they can, um, and so that was that was clarified by the IRS a couple of years ago. Yeah, say more because that you know, used to not be allowed. Yeah, um, so there's a little bit of additional paperwork that has to be done. Um, but if a donor knows that they want to fulfill a pledge that they've previously made with a gift from a donor advised fund, um, they can talk to their the fundraiser that they work with um, at the organization, and. It has to be put in as its own gift. The check from the donor advised fund can't actually mention the pledge itself. Okay. But it can be credited on the um, on the nonprofit organizations and as meeting that pledge legally. Um, and so that's one of the things that the IRS clarified only a couple of years ago. Um, but most organizations don't know that. You know, we got a lot of comments about, oh, we can't fulfill pledges. Oh, we don't know how to explain to donors that you can't fulfill pledges. Um, but the reality is that you can't. So that's just a perfect example of a lack of knowledge um, that's you know widespread across the sector. Um, and so, but that's not the only one. I mean, another one that came up was membership organizations. Um, you can't purchase anything that has a tangible benefit for the donor with a gift from a donor advice fund. Um, so a lot of membership organizations uh, offer you know, like a pass to the zoo or a pass to the museum if you donate at a certain level. But if that gift comes from a donor advice fund, they can't give that membership out. Um, and so that confuses donors a lot. And so this is really where we were recommending that 
you know, communicating with your donors, but also training your staff so that everybody on your staff knows the answers to these questions and can then communicate with their donors that they work with. Um, you know, it's not enough for the director of fundraising to know the answers to these questions. It's not enough for the executive director to be the only person that knows the answers to these questions. Um, and so by having everybody on your staff be knowledgeable, you can then better help your donors. Information is the currency of philanthropy. And you know, folks, back in the day, charitable gifts were made just with money. Then credit cards came along and fundraisers had to learn and adapt. And then social media came along and fundraisers needed to learn and adapt. And now DAFs, even though they've been around for decades, have really emerged in these last 10 or 20 years much more prominently, especially as many folks are combining their philanthropic management with their overall financial management through these private wealth management organizations, banks and other wealth management institutions. And as we've talked before on this podcast, donor advised funds can gain more prominence during economic downturns, such as we see during the world pandemic. Uh, research from one of our alumni, two of our alumni actually, and there's a podcast in our archives that discusses this, shows that the amount of gifts and the dollar amount uh, that is given and the percentage of portfolio from donor advised funds often goes up during times of economic downturn. So if that's your donor, make sure you're talking to your individual donors. Do they have a donor advised fund? And again, many of those DAF holders make larger contributions when the economy is struggling. Now, you can obtain this research study free of charge on our website, Philanthropy. .iupui.edu. Look across the top toolbar, find research. There'll be a drop-down menu and you'll be able to find this research study. A couple spots over on that top toolbar, you'll see the words professional development. That's where you find the fundraising school where we translate the research from the IU Lilly Family School of Philanthropy into practical, pragmatic action steps that you can take to strengthen your fundraising through 20 public courses. Some of them are now available in person, the rest available online, which you can attend also with a crisis response scholarship that reduces the cost by 50%. We also have custom training that we can bring right to your nonprofit, your association, your region. We have quarterly webinars and of course these free podcasts. And then again, is on the website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Sasha Zarens, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.